Welcome to And Just Like What, the podcast where somebody who may end up on a MILF list one day, and somebody who probably won't, talk about the existential ennui and ongoing art project that is the Sex and the City reboot, And Just Like That. I'm Nadia Osman. And I'm Matthew Brian Cohen. And Nadia, please do not underestimate my ability to get on a MILF list. <laughs> I apologize. I, apologize. I take I that like as a, a personal challenge. <laughs> I'm going to be out there stumping campaign. Put me on the MILF list. <laughs> Just showing up Bernie at local lost? high schools. He wasn't on a MILF list. <laughs> I think, yeah, Bernie would have won if he were on some kind of MILF list, I believe. I feel like uh, that should be something that the Democrats take to heart. It's like, okay, we have, we have ideas and we're getting more and more progressive slowly but surely. But what about... Milf list, which if you yeah. have not seen the episode, uh, we encourage you to go back and watch because it's going to come into play. It'll make yeah. a lot more sense <laughs> after. <laughs> yeah. If the concept of a milf list is uh, having you scratching your head, your <laughs> mouth is just a gape. Like, duh? What? Huh? Please watch <sighs> episode three of And Just Like That, uh, entitled Chapter Three. Yes, we uh, have and the first of many, I think, little bits of meta commentary <laughs> mm -hmm. that are mm -hmm. sprinkled throughout this episode. Yes. What What are your general academic observations going into this episode, especially after last week's extravaganza two parter? Yeah. So what's very interesting to me is that this episode sort of, I mean, in a very, I would say, avant garde way didn't really follow up on the big plot lines of the last episode, right? Like, no, not at all. We didn't see the Che's husband at all, you know? No. He just, Lyle was a, a non-factor in here. It wasn't even mentioned. Neither if, was um, basically, like, any of Naya's breakdown. Like, the only thing no. that we really got was just, uh, Naya and her husband are currently separated. Yes, very much. And, and the, see, this to me feels like this is classic and just like that, right? Where it's like things just sort of like we move on from them, but we don't really resolve them. Yeah. The exactly. characters just sort of say like, oh, that happened to me. And then just bury it deep down inside <laughs> and, it, and like hoping it never comes out again. And as an audience, we just have to accept that life is a series of events of stuff that just happens to us and there's no resolution. There's no, there's nothing to learn from it. It's just things happen and then you die. And that's <laughs> the summation of the life in the, and just like that universe. Um, it's very bleak, very depressing, but I think that's what we're supposed to take away from the show. Right now. I would argue that something, at least for this episode is that, we have all these instances of uh, the old, the old ways it used to be. We mm -hmm. see it uh, physically through Chase taping. We see it through Seema's mugging, which harkens back to an earlier episode of the original series. We see Carrie having to relive the trauma of finding her dead husband. We see a lot of let's go back for a moment. And I almost feel like if this is, any theme for this episode so far, it would be, you can't go home again. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
I think I wrote down like the past coming back to haunt us. Yes. A, feels like a, definitely a running theme. And also, obviously, the theme of loss, mm-hmm. right? This is an episode that deals a lot with loss and how do you deal with loss? And yeah. I would say what's very interesting is none of these characters really deal with loss in any way. They just move on from it. They just say like, oh, well, I'm done thinking about it. Yeah, it almost feels like a commentary on the denial of loss. So mm-hmm. when you go through grief, you know, the first stage often for most people is a form of shock and denial and just realizing very slowly but surely, oh, I have lost this person, this thing, this place, etc. And so through this episode, I started to think about how much of this is a commentary on the loss of New York as an entity, as a, mm-hmm. as a fifth character, as they like to say, and how much of this is a commentary on the loss of America as a whole, the loss of the power that the United States had in a post-World War II world. Yeah, I think that's very interesting because, yeah, this the show overall, and especially this episode, is very much about a decline. Uh, and I think we'll, we'll I'll touch on it a little bit later. There's some scenes I wrote down and I really underlined the word decline here. Um, but yeah, it does feel like it is talking about the overall decline we are experiencing as Americans, that we have lost something. We know we've lost it, but we can't reconcile with what it means to have lost it. So we just sort of trudge forward on the same path we've been on, leading to further loss and decline. (laughs) Yes. And whether that's a loss of relationships, whether Mm -hmm. that's a loss of partnerships, whether that's a loss of connection, whether that is a loss of, honestly, some level of um, physicality, material loss. Yes, exactly. Um, There's so much that happens, I think, for these characters to really explore that level of loss, which again, if you guys listen to our first episodes, that's really what I think I thought based on the pilot that this show was going to be. It was going to be a meditation on loss. And then it very quickly became loss breeds humiliation or just surrounding loss is humiliation, regret, aggravation and what the fuck is going on feelings yeah i think overall the like the show is really trying to communicate the message of don't think about any of this stuff (laughs) yeah like to think about it will make you sad yes so what's best is to just blindly push forward yes yes um and something else will happen. Probably something good will happen to you because you're a well-to-do American. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I so mean, it's like, if, if you don't think sweat <laughs> the loss. Just <laughs> If you think about American history as a whole, it's like you think about the number of times Americans have pushed through something, starting from its inception. We pushed through the idea of a democratic republic. Uh, we pushed through the idea of manifest destiny. We pushed through the idea of isolationism that then became okay fine we reluctantly have to connect globally and then we sort of push through the idea of american exceptionalism uh on the world it with very very mixed results so now we've hit this point where it's like if we're entering american decline how are we going to push through that and you push through it by being kind of in denial and refusing to accept what's in front of you yeah i mean that's 
Really well put. I think, uh, Nadia, are you ready to go blow by blow? Oh, I am. I am. Piece of jewelry by piece of jewelry. <laughs> <A> bobble by bobble. <laughs> <laughs> stolen Birkin by stolen Birkin. Yes. Um, yeah, let's let's start off. So, let's yeah, let's go through this whole episode. So, this is episode three, entitled Chapter Three. And we open on uh, Kiri is on the street and she runs into the young jewelry designer who lives in her building uh, from season one. Uh, Lisette, I believe was her mm-hmm. name. Um, and invites her to she's got a big jewelry design party or I'm not sure what you would call this in the in the jewelry world. But it's like she's showing off the pieces she made, I guess. Yeah, and I kind of an, buyers would be there. It's like, sort of a, a homage to Fashion Week slash mm-hmm. uh, Jewelry Expo. Yes, a buyers yes. would be there to say, "Oh, let's feature Lizette Designs in Bloomingdale's, etc." Um, mm-hmm. And uh, she and Carrie end up having this exchange about embarrassment, which I think is really unique. That they basically keep saying, "Embarrassingly, I have to go do this thing for my job." Yes, which was very interesting to me because she w- Carrie was embarrassed of having to record her own audiobook, which I think most people would not find embarrassing. Yeah. Right? No. I don't think that's really <laughs> embarrassing. But I think what's interesting is I think to Carrie, obviously, it's very embarrassing because Carrie wanted, like, as she said, like Julianne Moore, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Ju- was it Julianne Moore, Juliet Lewis? Like, she wanted, like, an a, a A-list celebrity in yeah, her mind to jewels, record this. Any jewel, yes. Julia, Julian. Juliet, Jul- any Julie would do. Yeah, and I think this speaks to decline, right? It's just like she uh, is used to, it's like, oh, you would get an A-lister to do the audiobook. And it's like, ooh, well, now the budget isn't there. We kind of can't really do that anymore. So actually, like, we're going to make the author do it. Yeah, it it does definitely speak to, much like Che's taping, which we'll get into later, it is hearkening back to an older time of doing things. Um a lot of authors, I think, are actually kind of proud to record their own audiobook and to have their voice on tape, particularly when it's in the nonfiction memoir area of things. And I guess we would put Carrie's new book in memoir slash creative nonfiction as yes. a genre. So it makes a lot of sense for her to read the book out loud, particularly when, let's not forget, she just was had a podcast that was uh, unceremoniously ended, I guess, last episode. So yes, which she never refers to and never comes up. It just is again, it's like, well, this ended. Okay, on to the next thing. (laughs) Right. And and so she's probably gotten used to the sound of her own voice. So it it does not totally match to me that she would be so against recording the book herself, apart from the fact that the book is about grief and loss. And she doesn't want to relive those moments. She's in sure. denial. Yes. Um, and it's also, she's getting paid for it, right? And this is yeah. <laughs> like the only job she has now. It feels like, just take the extra money. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? I mean, she's already rich, but why not? Yeah. Yeah. Money is of no concern for these characters. Uh, which, again, very interesting. Uh, and then speaking of money, then we see Seema, right? Uh, she's walking along the streets of New York right outside her building. Mm-hmm. Uh and she gets her purse snatched, her yep. favorite Birkin. Yep. Which she alludes to later as the thing she bought after her first big sale, which basically means 
like by my calculations of these characters, let's say she became a real estate agent in her mid to late 20s even, right? Mm-hmm. So this is a 20, 25-year-old bag that uh, was already probably very expensive. But she even yeah, alludes. What to are the we fact- talking about? Because these bags are worth what? Like I would say, it's like fifteen thousand dollars, twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, Is I would that say like- that it's a twenty to twenty-five thousand dollar bag in wow. um, today's terms. I would mm-hmm. say that when she purchased the bag, it was probably closer to four or five grand, maybe. Okay. Um, also, you know, our May Birkins were named after actress Jane Birkin. Uh, they were a popular kind of in the know bag. But it really wasn't until, I would say, the early to mid-2000s where they sort of skyrocketed in popularity and there became a wait list. Maybe even late, a little earlier, like late 90s. Um, somebody like, I think, Kendall Jenner, one of the Jenners, has like a hundred of these bags. It's wow obscene. It's obs- and it's and this it's- is just to collect them, right? This yes. is not even, this is, at this point, it is pure... Like you could argue, Sema, this has uh, obviously like some emotional value, sentimental value. Um, but when you have hundreds of these, this is just I want to accumulate stuff. Yeah, I want to show everyone that I have the most stuff. Yeah, I personally find it kind of disgusting. I yeah, I think if if one person of wealth had a Birkin, I would say, oh wow, okay, sure, you know, spend spend your money the way you want to. To have that many of them is frankly disgusting. Um, the only time I can think of a Birkin being shown really in the media early on besides Sex in the City, so I think they helped popularize it because there's a whole episode where in the original series, Samantha um, pushes Lucy Liu aside to get <laughs> oh, yes, to the front of the yes. uh, wait list for Birkin, and then they have a, a tussle about it. Um, there's an episode of later Gilmore Girls where Rory is gifted a Birkin and has no idea what it is because she didn't grow up uh, living in the same kind of moneyed world mm-hmm. that she then enters. And uh, her boyfriend just gives it to her. And it's in, like everybody else is like, what the fuck? And she's just like using it like a regular book bag. She's like, what? It's a bag. Um, yes. And I can also think of this was, I think, later in that. But in the 2010s, uh, Real Housewives, uh, several of the franchises make big deals about Birkin bags. And there's yes. usually like, I'm thinking of, I think on Beverly Hills, there was one Birkin bag uh, shop or like a pop-up. Like basically mm. someone came to one of their homes and was like, okay, would you like to buy one of these? Oh, you know what yeah, I mean? yeah, and they, okay. Like a private selling. I don't know how you'd call that other than you invite a, a Birkin retailer over. Yeah, I guess you invite <laughs> for a, a little Birkin party to, to come to your house and have a, yeah. Yeah, bir- uh, a Birkin bag party. It's like Tupperware, but infinitely more expensive. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the thing about Cena being mugged is she's mugged in broad daylight on the street. It's not in an alleyway. It's not dark and late at night. It is and in a very wealthy neighborhood, in probably, right. I assume she lives in like the Upper East Side or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's a very uh, where there aren't a lot mugging. of muggers. Right, it's a very obvious mugging, and uh, the fact that nobody stops to help her is very disconcerting. Um, we are all islands, Nadia. Yes. We we do not live in a society anymore. Things just happen to individuals, and we just have to ignore it. Yeah, and just hope. That they don't happen to us. So she's she's out of a Birkin and is very disappointed about it. And I mean, obviously, uh, when you're stolen from a little bit of a traumatic event, 
particularly when somebody steals what is then she realizes like she tries to rebuy the bag and there's a very brief scene where you realize that bag is twenty five thousand dollars but it's not so much the money i think it's 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 the sentimental thing yeah because she can afford it she has a driver who takes her literally everywhere yeah i think to just buy a new bag would be of little consequence right uh, it's just more that like i can't believe it and you know especially when you're uh looking at certain fashion pieces as collector's items it's mm-hmm. it's you know it almost feels like the same thing as jay leno hopped out of one of his many cars and somebody just ran into the car and drove off yeah. with it he yeah. can afford he like, another i car. can't i can't get another one i can't it's, <laughs> it's priceless my wife. this my is wife a model is that t car. yeah yeah about this yeah about the guy who stole my car from me <laughs> um anyway so and then we cut to the Arbor School. Yes. This is the elite uh, private academy, uh, which uh, Charlotte's uh, kids attend uh, and Lisa's. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are talking to, I think th- this is the principal, I imagine. Yeah. It, it was unclear to me because it seemed like a sparsely attended PTA t- meeting. Yeah. I want to say yeah. PTA meeting. Yeah. Um, and basically, this is where we learn that. Uh, Students have created a MILF list. Yes. Um, of the, I guess, uh, hottest and most fuckable moms at the school. <laughs> yes. Yes. And Charlotte and Lisa and the other moms love the idea of this list. And they really want to get a copy of that list to find out where they are rated. If they are rated. Yeah. And if they are on this list. It, it It's... Such an odd concept to me that like feels based in reality. It feels like yes, there would sure. probably be some kids would do anything. You yeah, know what kid, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Kids are terrible. They'll do anything. I uh, I'm certain one of these is going around when we were in high school. And yet the idea of these older women being like, I want to be on the list, really caring about it, like it like it matters. You know what I mean? Like the opinion of some, you know snot-nosed 15-year-old <laughs> <laughs> like really matters which is like really sad right it's like that these women desperately want to be attractive for a like 15-year-old male gaze you yes. know yes it's also odd because if you really break it down right if you are attending this elite private school there's a good chance that you've been there for a minute even if you mm-hmm. switched over let's say arbor school was just high school or something right there's still a good chance that you've run into the same people in the same circles and you're likely familiar with the kids and their moms. So it's the idea of imagine your friend's kid is ranking how hot you are. Like there's something about that that just does not sit well with me. It's like I I know Chelsea and mm-hmm. I grew up with her son. I remember yes. her son when he was six. And he, you know, spilled orange juice in the backseat of our car. And now a bunch of kids are here to rank whether me or Chelsea are hotter. It's weird. It's very weird. And I think it's very weird for the principal to inform the parents about yeah. this, right? Like, <laughs> yes. like, this is not really school business or it's just like, yeah, the kids did it. But it, but it's like, it's you don't need to inform the parents because it's like a crime hasn't been committed. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like by not saying anything, you're covering up some... A big, uh, like, illicit affair or anything. It's like, just, yeah, okay, there's a, it's like, we don't need to even mention there's a MILF list. You can, like, 
get it, destroy it, and like punish the kid, maybe. Although yeah. I guess I don't really know what they did is wrong. You know what I mean? Because I think if you were to make a list of like hottest girls in the school, you could be like, well, this is like towards your fellow students, but it's just like, I don't know. If you just made a list of, even if it was like a list of like hottest celebrities and it was like sure. Jennifer Lawrence, number one, you know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah, exactly. Beyonce, Sydney number two. Sweeney, it's just like, two. is this, is this a crime? Like, or like, what's the, it's like, all right, just, I guess have it, but I, you know what I mean? Like, it's not great, but it also is like, I don't know why we have to make a big deal about this. Yeah. We, we uh, can just ignore it. Yeah. So then they realize in a lunch, they download a Google Doc. Yes, uh, this is uh, we are we are going to follow. I think the this MILF sort of D storyline because yeah. it's very very brief, and I think we should just wrap it up. So yeah, they're at a the ladies are all at a lunch, and they all um, they're like, oh, I've got a cop. Lisa gets a copy of the the MILF list, mm-hmm. um, and it's like, oh, it's downloading, which right away was very weird to me because. We end up seeing it on the phone, and it's just like a JPEG. You know what I mean? Which yes. like couldn't be more than like twenty five, thirty k. And this is you have a modern cell phone. This wouldn't take like a minute and a half to download. You know what I mean? This isn't yes. a. You're not on a like a thirty three point six baud modem. You know yeah, what I mean? Lo- Connecting yeah, to like unless, AOL four. Well, she's got just like, being like Sprint PCS in Manhattan or something, uh, which she would. Yeah, it's just but- like. And and we saw the list. It's like ten names or something on it. Briefly, yeah. It's just like, which there's got to be more mobs than that. But uh, Charlotte and Lisa are two and three, uh, respectively, yeah. I believe. And also, it was very interesting is when we found out about this. I thought like, oh, this this storyline will cause like some contention. There'll be some comedic thing of like you're ranked higher than me. You know what I mean? I'm jealous or something. But no, they aren't. They aren't jealous at all. They're just right. like great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And it's like, who's number one? And it was like, Chelsea, whatever. And then they're like, oh, yeah, she's stunning. Yeah. It's just like, okay, well, if we get the copy of it, we're like, great. Everything's fine. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, again, introducing the potential for conflict, but then there is none. So ultimately, doesn't matter is so fascinating to me. (laughs) Absolutely. Especially because what ends up happening later is Charlotte and Lisa are at the school with the other moms. And they're basically like, you know, do we know who made the list? And they're trying to mm-hmm. essentially figure out the source of it. And they're like, which Milo did it? And then something happens that I really do not care for personally. This is really upsetting. This was like a very upsetting. And I understand that the show is presenting this comedically, right? Yes. But it it really just felt very weird. It wasn't funny enough to yeah. be comedic. Yeah. And it just... And it wasn't followed up on in any real way. So it just was very weird and unsettling. Right. Which is essentially they realize which of the Milos did it. And the Milo passes them by. And in a very slow-mo shot, the ladies all have an extremely, what is... They sexually objectify a minor. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Is what it is. That it is like we are taken through the lens of, um, oh, wow, look at this hot guy. And they officially say that. They're like Milo H. The H stands for hot. Yeah. It's, it's disturbing. I don't care for it, especially in a day and age where, again, that feels like not only just such a throwback joke, Mm -hmm. but it does not 
feel like these characters. And it doesn't, there is nothing in terms of setup for that. For example, it's not as if, let's say, Charlotte is like, oh, I'm going through a particularly horny period. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, not even something small to set it up where it's like, we're going to base this on hormones. And she can call out later, like, this is insane. This is wrong. This is not who I am. But man, did I look at a, a 15-year-old? I can't believe I did that. I'm a yeah, piece of shit. Like, there's I, I no introspection about it. It's just none. I think a proper setup a would be something like, if and I don't think this is a great storyline, but it really felt it would be something like they find out there's a MILF list and they're all horrified by it. Like, this is awful. This is disgusting. This is objectifying women. I can't believe a kid would do this. Who would do this? Then they find out they're two and three and then they like it, right? Yeah. Then they're like, oh, the MILF list. Oh, it's not so bad. And it's just like, oh, the joke then there obviously is that they like it because they are highly rated yeah and then you would have like oh who made it and it's just some like creepy little twerp and they're like oh now we hate it again but then it's like actually it was like it wasn't that creepy little twerp it was like this like hot popular boy and then they're like well maybe it's not so bad you know what i mean they ping pong back and forth depending on this new information and that uh sort of uh, you know it sends up our characters and it, it sort of shows how as human beings you know our opinions of things vary based on uh who is who is ranking us and who is objectifying us you know mm-hmm. what i mean whether or not we deem them to be attractive or worthy uh in some way absolutely and going uh, that feels back like to- some kind of storyline <laughs> yeah exactly and going back to the idea of if we're going to touch on themes of grief and loss if this was a thing where the characters went you know, I know I'm a mom, but I never saw myself as a MILF, you know, mm-hmm. or something to yeah. the idea of the loss of youth, the loss mm-hmm. of how we as a society perceive women as they get older. If there was some commentary on that, I feel like this would be a stronger storyline. And as a result, it's just set up to be Charlotte and Lisa are in cahoots about we are on the MILF list. The 15 year old is hot. And, uh, and then they get called out for it in the PTA meeting where suddenly somebody tells the principal, like, we just heard a bunch of women talking about one of the kids and they're like, what? And it's. And then there's no, that's it. That's the end of the storyline. There's no, like, you can't do that or they get in trouble or like, and we never see that kid again. It just, it just feels like it's just a very odd moment to objectify a child. Yeah. Yeah. And. I mean, this is a very rote analysis, but can you imagine if the genders were reversed? Absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, exactly. And if it was played like this, it's just like, so what is the take here? It just is, it would be just like a bunch of adult men being like, damn, that, that teenage girl is hot. Yeah, That's, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's gross. Awful. It's gross. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me very much of uh, the reverse ideology around if a young woman and an older man get together, particularly in, say, an academic setting. This is wrong mm-hmm. and bad. And if a young man and an older women, woman get together, then he has scored. He has done yes. well. What a lucky fella. And it's like, no, in both cases, it's um, beyond inappropriate. It's illegal. 
So. Yeah, adults should not be <laughs> sexualizing uh, children. Yeah. I think that's very yeah. fair. And yeah. I think, well, then it's like, what is the show trying to say? So I think it's really trying to say, it's like, look at these characters. They get to do whatever they want and there's no consequence, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> they just, it's like, oh, somebody heard that these adults were, you know, oogling, uh, oogling, ogling. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that in. <laughs> they are oogling. They are oogling. <laughs> they are oogling and ogling a student. And did anything happen? No. It's just like, well, you know, you pay thirty-five grand to attend this school, right? So, so we'll let we'll let you oogle. Yeah, you which, get to oogle, which almost That's... feels like a Succession storyline more than mm-hmm. uh, a Sex in the City franchise storyline. Um, yes. Um, but, uh, uh, and that's the conclusion of that sort of D story. Uh, yeah. let's go, uh, backing up then to, um, uh, chronologically. So, um, we, we go to Carrie. Yes. Right. And she is recording her audiobook. And we have this very long sort of setup where they're like, oh, you're popping your peas, you're swallowing your teas. Um, what the, one of the sound guys has stinky pits mm-hmm. and which is very cartoony, um, but also is interesting is this sets up like this is her annoyance and this is her problem, but it's not her problem. She can't record chapter three about Big's death because she has not emotionally processed it. Right. And she is sort of surprised with herself that she has not gotten over his death and just can't bring herself to read these words. Yeah. And rather than sort of the accept, everybody else around her seems to be very accepting. They mm-hmm. they don't straight up say grief is not linear, but they say, we got extra days. This might take a while. We don't need mm-hmm. to rush. You can take your time. If you need a beat, that's okay. Everyone's very compassionate. Yeah, and no stakes. It's, really nice. it's just, it's just like, yeah, everyone's like, hey, it's okay. Take your time. It's fine. And she's like, I can't. I can't do this. I can't do this. Yeah, it's a very long and uncomfortable scene, and sort of rightfully so, in her trying to get back into that space. And she just, you know, refuses. She's kind of in denial about it. Um, mm-hmm. Later, I think she tries to do it again and there's just like the zoom in dolly camera work that happens. Oh, that's in this scene I think or maybe I forget if they go back to it. Yeah, but yes, the, the, there's like a very interesting directorial choice where it's like a slight zoom in mm-hmm. and like slight dolly work and like the you see the words on uh her iPad screen are slightly blurred but not enough, you know what I mean? Yes. Which I think is interesting. It's like they didn't go with the full on effect of like oh, she can't even process any of these words. It's like she can't even process a few of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and you hear the sound of the shower and it just mm-hmm. makes me think like how has no one forced this woman into a a grief therapy session? Yes. Some sort of but- even a, a, a grief therapy group, something, something. There are tons of versions of this. There's um I remember a friend telling me about it's a group of people who had all lost partners and they do like a weekly dinner. And the idea was just like, here are people that don't want to be alone, and it's a safe space. If you wish to grieve, you can grieve. And if you are just want company, you know, company. And I'm just kind of shocked that I'm not shocked, and I'm shocked. I'm I'm not shocked that Carrie wouldn't do this, because Carrie's never been one for feelings. She's always been one for neuroticism and, you know, let me not actually feel the thing. Let me just, you know, force agendas down people's throats. And mm-hmm. on the other hand, I'm like, this is a newer, grown-up Carrie. Surely, 
she would think like, yeah, I should probably go talk to somebody. But no, nobody, nobody wants to process any of their emotions. They just let them linger sort of like half remembered in the recesses of their own mind. Yes. Um, and I think uh, then the next thing we see, we go to uh, the Che and Miranda storyline, right? Oh, che and Miranda, they're running lines for Che's show. Yeah. Um, che uh, is supposed to cry. Mm -hmm. um, in this moment and doesn't want to cry or can't cry. It's not really made clear whether this is Che has limited acting ability and feels insecure about that or is just like, I don't want to do it. Now, I think do you this think is it's because the line she's supposed to be reacting to or reacting after is, come on, cannoli, don't cry. <laughs> How's it going, my little cannoli? It is weird. I mean, later on when we see it delivered by Tony Danza, it's delightful. And yes. I mean, it truly shows you that good acting can elevate poor writing. Yes. Um, but it, it did strike me as odd, Nadia, that Shay has no ability to write for the show or can't pitch anything. You know what I mean? Especially when this is based on their life. It is especially odd considering that Shay and the showrunner, both of them, seem to have at least enough interaction that they're able to go like, well, this part's based on you, this part's going to be based on me, this part... There, there's a lot mm -hmm. of back and forth, but it doesn't just seem as if Jay was cast. It seems as if they were chosen specifically because it was about their life, so I'm confused as to why somebody else is calling all the shots. Yes, which I think is so interesting, and uh, like if you go back to season one when Jay was like, I got my own show, I, you know, I'm going to LA to live the dream, I'm going to do my own sitcom... And then now it feels like, oh, you were just sort of plugged into a sh another showrunner's vision of a yeah. thing. It definitely feels like, oh, that is what happens, <laughs> where it's like, you think you've made it. And it's actually like, no, you are much lower on the totem pole yeah. uh, than maybe, you believe. Maybe Cannoli isn't crying because they're just thinking about how long they've been in L.A. for one pilot taping. <laughs> yeah, months and months and months. Um, this scene also stood out to me, Nani, because there's a lot of anti-Android jokes. Yes. The Android, <laughs> the phone, um, about uh, Miranda's new Android phone being bad. She can't, she doesn't know people are calling her. Mm -hmm. um, and Che mentions like, yeah, this phone sucks. Definitely feels like this is stealth anti-advertising from yes. Apple. Yes, yes. It's weird. It's weird. And it, and it does sort of set up something that will pay off. Later, but it is a, a odd beat of like, really? but not really because because later it's a different phone. Oh, it's a different phone entirely. Yes, we'll we'll get to that later. Okay, it was like, I, I didn't pick but, up on that. I apologize. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. So, uh, then we have our Naya and Lisa storyline here. Uh, Naya uh, is being interviewed by Lisa for Lisa's documentary. Um, and there is a hot sound guy. Now, Nadia, you, you have been on some sets, right? Oh, sure. You're in the biz. <laughs> yes. Sound people. Yes. I would say this, and no offense to any sound person listening. I love you. You make audio sound great. Not typically hot. <laughs> Not really like uh, super hot, right? In fact, I yeah. would say every sound person I've met, and I mean this with all love, is weird. <laughs> sound people are very weird. 
Yes. They are uh, one of the weirdest people involved <laughs> in show business. Every sound person, man, woman, child, you are weird. You are deeply weird. That doesn't mean you're a creep or a bad person. You are just different <laughs> and you are built differently. And we need you. We need you desperately. We need you. We, need we your love expertise you. And we adore you. I treat you. all sound people with love and respect. I think they're great. Yeah. I've I try worked to with some really good sound people. When yes. I can, because I think it's sort of a thankless job in a lot of ways. Yeah. And but yet they don't look the like models. No, but they don't look like models. <laughs> if and you look like a model, you're not becoming a sound person. I'm sorry. When yes. you're a kid and you realize I'm this attractive, you're not like, let me really get into audio. <laughs> And I'm like, you know what I need to do? Uh, I need to take my Shure microphone and go record a bunch of like field sounds and then try to mix them in the highest fidelity. Yeah. It's just yeah. not a thing you get into. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're, if you're hot, you don't hold the boom mic. No. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. this hot man getting handsy with her, and that's the other part of it. Is Too handsy. Now, Too now handsy. Matt, you've been on. A number of sets as well. I've been on some sets. You're yes. also in the biz. I'm in. I'm have, a little bit in the biz. I've, I've dipped ever, my toe in the biz. Have you ever had a sound person get handsy with you in a way where it's like this feels like an HR violation? Not like that, because I think very intentionally, sound people are trained not to do that. Yeah. Especially, I would say, like a male to female. I, I'm not a woman, so I don't know that. Obviously, we, as we know, uh, lav mics. You know, you got they've got to be pinned to like under your shirt to yes. hide it. But you don't go fishing like that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if a lav mic dropped down someone's shirt. A sound person would say, like, just reach it and pick it up for me, and then I will clip it back onto the top of your shirt. Yes. Even when I've worked with a couple of sound people that I really, really trust and don't care if they were to touch me in any regard, they will usually be like, hey, can you reach back? and Or yeah. can you fix the tape? They will hand you the tape and the wire, and they will say, yeah. okay, stick this here. That's where it's going to fit best because they don't want to touch you. So it's it's an it's odd. Yes, and he does it intentionally, as we find out when they they rap. Um, uh, Lisa says like, "Oh, he wasn't this handsy with a the like circuit court judge we interviewed mm -hmm. the other day." So, I mean, this is it's really gross. It's yeah. like like if if he were to do this intentionally as a move, um, it's kind of gross. But Naya is into it and gets his number. Yeah, and he texts, and then that's all. I think we see. That's it. For That's now. the, the storyline is. And who knows with and just like that if this will be followed up on. You yeah. know what I mean? We have no idea. And that's what keeps the show interesting is right. storylines can just appear and disappear on a whim. <laughs> so who knows? And if who we're knows? going back to the idea of loss on like a very small level, uh, if the idea is that Naya has lost her marriage or is mm -hmm. in the process of losing her marriage. Is this a form of denial to be like, no, 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 I still got it. This is, I can still have a partner. Um, I got the hot sound guy to uh, feel me up. Like, yes. I guess, maybe, but it, it doesn't track as well for me. Also a loss of self, because if we think back to season one, Naya's character, I think, has radically altered, right? In season one, she felt very much like, this was a respected law professor. You know what I mean? Like this is a, this is a woman who has spent like a professional career uh, accumulating a lot of like power and respect and knowledge. 
And this season, she's really acting like a little child, right? She is throwing like lots of uh, tantrums. She's she's oogling a sound guy. You know what I mean? Like very much like like a little girl when it's just like, ooh, he texted me back. You know what I mean? She just like doesn't feel like the same woman. Right. And I think what's – I can't tell if one of two things are happening. Either one, without Miranda there to be Naya's student, we don't get to mm-hmm. see Naya in a professional capacity as much, which – I'm disappointed by it because I think that there's a lot of ways in which you can connect Naya's career and her professional life to her romantic life and her relationships with her new friends. Or B, if they've just decided, well, we need someone to be single and Mm -hmm. it's going to be Naya. And so we need Naya to act a certain way that one might act when they're very young and single, which... Uh, does uh, yeah it doesn't necessarily feel like what was set out to happen yes we were infantilizing her and rather than an interesting choice of right like maybe they have a younger friend maybe or like i don't know somebody has like an intern uh now i'm just like writing for the show but like kiri has like there's an intern at her her podcast before it it gets canceled right but she's like oh let me mentor you oh you also want to be like a writer about like culture and fashion and sex Hey, here, I'll help you out. And then it's like, oh, she hangs around and the, the, like we get a young person's perspective. No, this is definitely like these are women of a certain age. Yeah. But we need them to act like a different age than they actually are. Yeah. Um. So speaking of Carrie, we'll, we'll head back mm-hmm. to what is the A story for a minute. So Carrie runs into Bitsy Von Muffling again. Yes. A character they keep bringing back, who was in the much later seasons of the uh, the first show. And yes, who was married to Nathan Lane, right? Yes, yeah. The um, whole and who is now there. dead in this universe. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know if Nathan was just too busy filming Only Murders in the Building or what, but he <laughs> did. He, he's opted not to come back, so he's gone. Um, and Bitsy basically tries to comfort Carrie in this moment where Carrie's like, it's it's a hard day today. And it's, he says, the hole never fills, but new life will grow around it. Something yes. she heard in her Kabbalah class, mind you. Yes, uh, I wrote that down. Um, but uh, before that, I would say a thing that uh, stood out to me, Nadia, was Bitsy really talks like a walking exposition machine. She very much... <laughs> Was being like, Carrie, what wonderful adventures are you getting into? Yeah. It's just like, oh, yeah. I'm so excited to read about your book. How is your book? Yes. Like, can you tell me what's going on about your dead husband book? <laughs> and it's like, well, it's funny you should ask, Bitsy. Like, it's very inauthentic, which I think, like we, we talked about before, there's a running undercurrent of inauthenticity and authenticity throughout this. And, like, so many people in this show don't talk like real people. Right. They talk like they're just there to prop up those around them. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, and it's a thing where I go, I don't know exactly how close Carrie and Bitsy are in this universe. I don't know if they go to lunch. Can't be like, too close. I don't know if it's like a, you know, those friends where it's like, you feel close to them, but you really only get lunch once or twice a year. Yeah, where it's like, best. every time I see you, it's great and nice, but I don't actively seek you out. Like, right. I mean, Carrie literally just ran into Bitsy. You know right. what I mean? It was exactly. like she was walking by uh, the beauty salon and Bitsy was like, come in and talk. Right. Yeah. It's like a let's catch up for a hot second moment. So to have Bitsy doling out advice does definitely feel like a device rather than a moment that would 
spring up naturally. That yes. said, the line that she says, the hole never fills, but new life will grow around it. I was thinking about that in contrast to last week where it's the earth is dead. We're cleaning up a corpse. Mm-hmm. It feels like such a juxtaposition of viewpoints. On the one hand, it's an examination of the doomsayers, right? The people who are like, we are fucked. We are going to be fucked. We are never going to get out of the fucking that we have created for ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's over. And then you have a Bitsy who's like, no, no. That's not entirely true. We may feel loss. We might feel grief. We might feel all these painful moments, but we can opt out of it, right? The idea that doom is inevitable, but gloom is optional. Oh, I love that. That's that's, that's great. <laughs> um, also, I want to talk about the scene. There is a bit of meta commentary um, where Bitsy, in talking about... Um, uh, being a widow and losing your husband says, oh, no, 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 the second year is worse than the first, which I read uh, as a bit of sly meta commentary about like, oh, you thought this season would fix all the issues that you had with season one? No, the second year is worse than the first. Mm. Uh, things just keep getting worse. You know what I mean? There yes. is no, it gets better. Yeah. It's just, we are on a decline. Things just keep degrading. Yeah. Um, the hole never fills. If you're looking to fill the hole, it cannot. The only escape is new life will grow around it. Almost in saying like, I think the show is saying like, and just like that is proof that it's like, we cannot go back, right? It's just like, uh, the show is begging for someone to end it, right? It's like, stop the show. Let new life grow around this. Let's see another show about women in New York or women in LA or women in Chicago or women in anywhere else in the world. You know what I mean? It's like, let new life happen. Let new people have television shows. <laughs> Let's not just keep continuing. Yeah. In the meta contextual version of this, it does feel like if the whole is the original and the original characters, the new life growing around it is your Lisa and Naya and Seema and all the other people who are now part of the universe who are going to get their own moments to shine. But by being in the show, that's just cleaning up the corpse, right? It's like, we're just kind of like, oh, okay, we'll put these new characters on the corpse. It's like, no, let new life grow around it. Don't put the new life in the hole. Yeah. The yeah. hole is there. You can't yeah. fill the hole. Yeah. Let the let them grow around the hole. You know what I mean? We'll always have the hole to remember the hole. <laughs> but let's... <laughs> we'll always have the hole. <laughs> yeah. And, and in this case, Carrie's seeds that she plants to make herself feel better are like two dozen pairs of shoes yes. all from Bergdorf's. Yes, because Bitsy says, we have a cut to because Bitsy's like, um, hey, do what you can to make yourself feel better. Yeah. And so Kiri, again, I think is so interesting. Yeah, like you said, buys a bunch of clothes, buys a bunch of shoes. Materialism, yeah. right? Yeah, Not actually dealing with her grief. Self. Yes. Just temporarily sort of uh, glosses over it with things. Yeah. And who among us hasn't? It's incredibly oh, sure. relatable. The Bergdorf part, less relatable. I mean, those were some very nice on trend mm-hmm. shoes that she was purchasing. Those are yes. six, seven, eight hundred dollars shoes. But That's... retail therapy is not going to fix actual grief. Like it fixes yeah. if you have a bad day, right? Yes. You're like, ugh, today was tough. Little I've tr- been there the where it's like, let me buy economy. an album. Yeah, let me buy a book. I'm going to go get some ice cream, something like that. Yes. 100%. And I, or, I'm a big you know. believer in the little treat economy that yeah. like we, we live uh, in hell. So do what you can to make yourself yeah. happy. 
Uh, yes, but, when but this little, will not fill the hole. Yeah, it's not going to fill the hole. It's just a little treat. That's sort mm-hmm. of the point. It's like, it's a little treat to get you through your day. Little treats do not fill the hole. Um, retail therapy never fills the hole. Uh, no. tr- trust me, as like somebody who has <laughs> definitely tried to fill the hole multiple times, I mean, like, I know what I'll do. There's a sale. And then six months later, I go, I never fucking, why did I do this? I, I'm the problem. I hate myself. Um, I don't do it that often, though, to be fair. <laughs> I just giving myself, cutting myself a little slack. Yes, that cut said, yourself some slack. Her retail therapy is like 20 grand. It's a lot. Yeah. It's basically That's whatever they're hole. paying her Husband for the audio. a very book. big hole. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. He was a big, he was a big hole. John Big Hole. And Carrie then lies about testing positive for COVID to get out of the book. Yes. We've talked about this. And just like that is one of the only shows that acknowledges COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and here it is acknowledging that we live in a, a COVID world again. Yeah. Lying about testing positive for COVID. Yeah. She's uh, wearing a very chic uh, New York Monopoly sweater and mm-hmm. plain Wordle. And has an Oive mask when Seema comes by and she finally admits after lying to both Miranda and Charlotte that she has COVID. She tells Seema, her new friend, I have, I have been faking it. I just yes. can't read oh, this. Sorry, I'm just to, struggling. Just to back up a little bit with that, right? So it's like Carrie lies about testing positive for COVID. Mm-hmm. Then there's like a lunch that I thought she, to keep up the lie was just not going to go to, even yeah. though she wouldn't need to keep up the lie to work because why would her friends know? But instead, she just doesn't want to go to that lunch Yeah, for some reason with her friends. I don't really know why. She wasn't like depressed, but she just says, mm, I'll just tell them I have COVID. And yeah. then that gets back to, um, or she tells Miranda that, which I don't know why she tells Miranda. I think you know what, what I happens mean? is that Miranda's like, hey, here, the book's going well. Um, and then Carrie's like, oh, the book, I can't yes. do that no more. So the idea is to keep the lie straight, I guess. Yeah. A great example though, of like, again, Carrie and Miranda, the relationship is fractured, right? It's mm-hmm. like she, she lies to her best friend, yeah. you know, she cannot be honest with her friend about like, it's hard for me to do the audio book because I'm still not over Big's death. Yeah. Instead, it's just be like, Ooh, I have COVID. And then, of course, then Miranda calls Charlotte, who's like, I'm going to send you some, uh, like, a care package. She feels guilty. And then Seema comes over. And then immediately Carrie gives up the lie. And I don't know why. Why it had to do with, like, that mask. The Oive mask. I wonder how much of it has to do with, I don't know if you've experienced this, but in my life, I've had people that I've known for a very long time. And there's a moment where they befriend someone new. And then the new friend finds out their most recent um, life affairs, secrets, what have you. Because me as the old friend, I think they might be afraid of judgment or they might be afraid of what have you. And I, I I haven't necessarily done this to other people, but I've seen it happen either to myself or with others. Where when you become close to somebody... There's a bond, a trust that is built, and you also, you know, almost adopt these people like family. And so mm-hmm. you don't want to disappoint family. You don't want to make family angry or upset with you. Uh, and so it's almost easier and lighter to then say, hey, 
I would rather tell somebody who doesn't know me as well, who doesn't know my entire history about this. And Seema met Carrie post-husband's uh, death, post-big. So Seema is somebody who's like a new, fresh friend for her who isn't going to judge because she doesn't know care. She doesn't have all this baggage, right? She's a baggage-free mm-hmm. friend. So it makes it a lot easier to be able to say, hey, I fucked up. Is that friend's going to go, ah, who cares? Uh, versus a Miranda who's going to go, you lied about having, co- why would you do that? Why would you yes. skip out on the, and the, you know, bringing, it's the denial of feelings. It's the, it's saying, I don't want to deal with this. I am, I'm putting my fingers in my ears and going, la, 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 la. It, but with Seema, she doesn't have to do that because Seema doesn't have that history with her. Interesting. Yeah, I I, I think that's all. Oh, that oh, you also reminded me that uh, when Miranda is calling Carrie, this is the scene where Miranda she initially walks out of the T-Mobile store with a new phone and that's decides, it. oh, I want a tattoo, and yes. she gets a she thinks about getting Rosie from the Jetsons, but like. <laughs> I don't well, know, they this convince tattoo her, guy. You know, if you were a robot, you should get a robot to yeah. remind yourself you're not a robot anymore, which, okay, sure. Sure. And then this is when she calls Carrie to be like, I want a tattoo. And that's when Carrie says, you know, lies about having COVID. But Carrie also says, I thought this is very interesting. Miranda, you should come back to New York. And Miranda openly admits, she says, this is a pretend life and she never wants to leave the fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really don't know what to say to her in that moment. And if that was a friend of mine, right? If a friend of mine said, I don't want to leave the fantasy of the life that I am living currently in X location with X person, I think at that point I would go either A, oh, honey, you are, this is reality no matter what. It is not a fantasy. Mm-hmm. Or B, I would have to create a very light boundary with that person to then just go, okay, so this person doesn't want to live in the same reality I do. That's yes. fine, but I cannot be there 24 So I can't No, I can't be their friend because we don't live in the same world. Right, Like, right. you don't want to really relate to me at all. Again, everyone is disconnected. Everyone's on their own island. Everyone's in their own internal life and reality that they're building up rather than connecting with each other. I can be their friend. We're just going to have a very small baby moat. Yes. As a boundary. Because then when you call me in the middle of the night going, I just realized the fantasy is real and not actually a fantasy and everything's falling apart. It's, I, I personally, um, have long been because of family relationships, the person, um, really with my mother. That uh, ends up having to have way fewer boundaries um, mm-hmm. and run to people's sides when things go wrong. Uh, and I personally don't want to do that anymore. And I look yeah. at somebody like Miranda, who's deliberately opting into what she considers to be the fantasy life, uh, which we can all see is uh, maybe not all it's cracked up to be. Um, but if I were Carrie, I might be going gonna wait a week before i call my friend yeah um and i maybe i'll just text her a couple times and maybe send her an article and i'll just you know take a beat (laughs) let let miranda come to her senses about a few just send her this thing i was just like oh like the knicks are on a hot streak yeah 
Next time you're in town, we should uh, we should go see a Knicks game. <laughs> like, Just some like, um, what's the column in the Times about love? Oh, uh, like modern yeah, yeah. love or whatever it's yeah, called. Yeah, yeah. Just like sending that and just yeah. being like, like a funny shouts and murmurs. Yeah, where yeah. it's just like this one made me giggle. <laughs> just in New York, I found I figured out a caption for the New Yorker yeah, yeah, cartoon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or it's like yeah, some uh, some joke that's about like this is a billable hour, and yeah. it's just like hey, remember these Miranda? <laughs> like this is like you. I do think uh, it's I think it's interesting that Carrie kind of speaks some common sense to her friend and says, "Come mm-hmm. back to New York." Like Carrie is willing to break the illusion of denial for others. She's saying to Marina, "Like something's off. Come back. I think about getting a tattoo. I had to make a Scientology joke because I never would have gone to you're getting a tattoo." Um, and so there's something interesting about the objective outsider, her friend, being like, "Ah, you, you've been in Alabama. Come back. Come back yeah. home. Something's up." And Miranda's like, no, 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 no. And it's going to take the live tapey that we've been building to for uh, a few things to happen. Yes. So, yes, uh, even just setting up a couple things. Uh, we also learned in that Miranda Carey phone call, or I think Carey finds out she gets an extra week to record. It's not like, ooh, I got out of the audiobook. It's like, no, 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 get better and then come back and we'll do it. So Carey's still going to have to record the audiobook. And we learned that Miranda um, – uh, can't talk to Brady, her son. He's not calling her back. Um, but then Miranda is in line for Chase taping and finds out Brady has been calling her a ton, which this is what's weird. It wasn't the old phone that wasn't getting calls. This is the new phone. Yeah. Who knows? Brady's girlfriend broke up with him, left suddenly when he was in Amsterdam. Um, and Miranda has to decide whether or not she's going to go into the taping where there are no cell phones allowed um, or step outside and wait for her son to, you know, call him back. Right. And yeah. I was like, oh, this is a very interesting moment. Right. Because this is like Miranda has to reject the sort of fantasy life of like, oh, I'm going to be Chase partner and like, uh, you know, attend their taping and do this or the real life where it's like my son and according to Miranda seems suicidal. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, she knows her son better than anybody. Sure. And I'm certain that, like, if Brady's somebody who, you know, season one, all we saw was Brady boning. Yeah. I think what's important is the character of Miranda believed her son to be, you know, maybe yes. suicidal. Or yes. maybe, like, might do something rash, overly yeah. emotional. So it felt, to me, pretty important when she was like, I need you to go to the hostel and then you can call him. You know, just go home, go to the hostel, be safe. And then we'll talk. So yes. Miranda's at this crossroads. Do I go into the taping or not? She chooses to hide her phone and then lie to the security guard that I don't actually have a phone. Trying to split the difference, uh, which idea. is a, a bad idea. Um, as we see when we go inside uh, the taping. Um, <laughs> uh, so we're taping Chase show. Um, I wrote down one of these jokes. Uh, <laughs> Nadia. For a gay kid, he could really putt-putt? Yes! I also wrote that down! What does that mean? I don't know. And I like to think that I have, you know, a little bit of a pulse on her Mm -hmm. culture. And I don't know. I don't know what that's... I don't know what kind of joke that is. I really, really don't know. 
Um, and I don't, I also don't know if it's supposed to be a meta commentary on the idea that for Che's, for Che Passa, this <laughs> three cam with a delightful Tony Danza trying to deliver these lines really well, and Che maybe, um, working their way through some of these changes because it's not entirely based on Chase's life. I just couldn't tell if the idea was, hey, remember sitcoms from the 90s that were kind of hack and mm -hmm. you would hear jokes like this? I don't know if it's a commentary on that or if it's meant to be taken at face value. Either way, well, it, Chase it says right, Yeah, Chase says earlier that these jokes suck. Yeah. Yeah. Because so this, this is a... <laughs> bad show i i can't tell i just the one thing i know is that because it's a live taping you know and it's a three cam there was a part of me that just thought what year is this because so few uh multi-cameras shows are made now but i did know you know what despite the fact that uh this is a show produced by warner brothers it is accurate that they would be on the warner brothers lot because the warner brothers lot is one of the few places that has room for uh three cam tapings Mm, true. Uh, and when you said, Nadia, what year is this? I know we've brought up uh, season three of Twin Peaks a bunch. <laughs> the famous last line of the, the whole season of Twin Peaks, The Return. Um, definitely that feeling of like, I am out of time, right? Like this, uh, nothing makes sense to me. My reality is, has fallen apart. I mm -hmm. don't even know what year I'm in. That's what this show feels like to me. Yeah. Um, with, you know, these like sort of hacky sitcom-y jokes that the showrunner's way too into. Um, but then Miranda's phone rings, right? And yes. her ringtone is the Skype call, which is funny to me that like that, that she said that, I guess. <laughs> I don't yeah, that's not the default. It's also funny to me that Miranda just, if she had it on ringer like a boomerang, in my head, I'm like, yes, Miranda, you could have silenced this. And then you could have just known there was a buzzing. And then you could have like gone, okay, Brady's calling. I'm going to call Brady right back. I'm just going to like sneak to the bathroom and take this call. Yeah. Or she just think any like, of this through. <laughs> if you think your son is suicidal, don't go into the tape. Don't go into the taping. You know, that's like, the other thing. Yeah. So it automatically answers with FaceTime. We see he's like, mom, mom. Yeah. And then. I thought a very insane thing. The showrunner says, oh, you know, we ruined the take. Yeah. Uh, says, we can't do a second take. Che's a stand-up, not an actor. You yeah. know what I mean? That, very rude. Which, In why would you undercut your talent like that? As a showrunner, this is like the biggest mistake you could possibly make. Yeah. Yeah. Is to tell your talent who was like in the moment doing a good job. Um, that it's just like, well, they suck at this. Yeah. So Honestly, unconscionable. Like, yeah. unconscionable on a professional level, on a creative level, and on a personal level. Just mm -hmm. fucking rude. I felt really bad for Che in that moment. Because I just yeah. thought, this showrunner is losing their minds yeah. in front of Terrible a live showrunner. audience. Toxic showrunner. Yes. Honestly, maybe this is a bit of commentary on uh, showrunners who go amok and who don't know how to uh, direct talent. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Or yes. really uh, take charge in and the show. And it takes Tony Danza to save the day and Tony to be like... A real pro. Yes. And honestly, this felt very real. If like you have a bad showrunner who is like inexperienced. This is probably like their first show. They're letting a lot of pressure get to them. And then they just completely undermine their whole operation when one thing goes wrong. Tony Danza, this fucking... 40-year vet, you know what I mean? It's just like, hey, everybody, it's going great. I think Che's doing a great job. They're doing a great job. Mm -hmm. We're going to nail this scene again. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. really rallies the troops and saves the day. Yeah. 
We love we love the boss. Who's the boss? Tony Dance is the boss. Tony is the boss. He's, he's um, killing it. He's killing. He's yes. the only. <laughs> he's the only one of this show that makes any sense. Honestly, yeah. Again, we talked about Tony being the moral center of the show. Yes. He really is. Yes. Um, yeah. But then we, so we cut to outside, right? Yeah. Where, where then Che uh, confronts Miranda. And this is where you have to understand that the show is trying to make us hate Che and understand that Miranda and Che cannot be together. Mm-hmm. Um, when Miranda says to Che, I'm sorry, I brought my phone in because my son was sounding suicidal about this breakup. Che is like, you ruined my take. Like, yeah. you ruined my show. Awful. Yeah. As opposed to having an, to an, an empathetic moment or yeah. even even if you are that angry in that moment, right? Imagine us in Che's mm-hmm. shoes. We are, it's our first big break and we're trying to nail it and we're struggling. You're insecure. And then, yeah. yeah we're, we're dealing with inner demons, etc. And then this happens from our partner, no less. At minimum, it does feel like the the move is, I need to go back in and tape. I'd like to discuss this later. Thank mm-hmm. you for coming. Um, if you need to take a phone call, go take it, you know, or something. Yeah. Like just- or it's like, why did you even come in? It's just like, don't you don't have to watch the taping. Yeah. Like, maybe I think it, what it needed was like, Che being like, I never needed you here. You didn't need to come here. And then Miranda gets hurt of like, why? You know what I mean? It's just like. It's just like you have another life that's more important to you mm-hmm. than my life. So go deal with your son. And then Miranda's like, oh, it feels like we're breaking up. But they don't really break up. It just feels like the Miranda's like, I'm going to leave L.A. I got to go back to New York. My son's coming back to New York. Right. And there's this odd moment where it's clear Che cares more about this pilot taping more than mm-hmm. her their partner's kid. And Che says, it's a kid. It's a breakup. And... There's a dismissiveness, right? Yes. Miranda's sitting there going, my son is halfway around the world, and I don't know what the hell is happening to him, but I've never heard him sound like this. And the idea of... There's this moment where Chase says, I guess we're even. In regards I don't. To, I don't understand that. Yeah, I guess ultimately... I think we're just supposed to take away from this that this is a toxic relationship, that this isn't going to work. We have to. That's the, the, that's the only thing we we can take away from this, that this fantasy is crumbled, right? Yeah. Yeah. And all that you're left with is a serif tattoo of your initials. <laughs> yes. Like fucking towels. So lame. <laughs> I mean, very funny detail, right? Because this is the kind of lame tattoo a M- Miranda would get. Yes. So lame. Just your initials on your wrist. Yes. Like, uh, somehow worse than Rosie the robot from the Jetsons. You know what I mean? Like, yes. if she got a, if she got like Rosie uh, on like her back, right? Like a big back piece. Yeah. At least they'd be like, damn, I guess you fucking love the Jetsons, man. And if she was like, it's just my reminder to not be a robot, right. I'd be like, I guess that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> but guess, it's like yeah. your initials, it's like, what is this? Just like I'm Miranda Hobbs, it's like get the fuck out of here. <laughs> it just, it just, it felt like oh, so you think you're an LL Bean bag? Yes, like- <laughs> it almost. What would have made more sense, I think, if we're trying to like maybe even like thematically show, she gets like Brady's name tattooed mm-hmm. on her yeah, or if something. It had been that's D-H, like oh, that would have made that more sense is what me. centers me. That's like who I, you know what I mean? Like right. not that 
you are just defined by your child. You know what I mean? But a thing where it's like, clearly she, when she, the choice between Shay and Brady, she chose Brady. That's right. what we're supposed to take away from this. So it's like almost like the tattoo should be like, oh, who is important to me? What do I get tattooed on me to signify who I am? My son. You know what I mean? My son mm-hmm. is where my heart is. Right. As opposed to marking this moment in Miranda's life with her own initials, which- I'm Miranda. I, yeah. It also just doesn't, I don't hear her or really see her do much that says, I'm choosing me apart from I'm choosing my son. And if mm-hmm. that's so what we're supposed to take away is she says, I'm going to choose me over any relationship and part of me is my son, then okay, sure, it's kind of a roundabout way to get there. But it otherwise literally just looks like uh, monogram towels she received for her wedding, but on her wrist. Baffling. Our next scene is Carrie with uh, Lisette at the jewelry. Oh uh, yes, yes. Show she she opts we... to go despite the faking COVID thing. So she's like, yes. no, no, I gotta go support. Let's I go. have to go. We're going to Bryant so, Park to look at this. Jewelry. This is a, a baffling scene on so many levels. Um, so they're at the. So Seema goes with Carrie. They're mm-hmm. at Lisette's show, and a cater waiter is openly just robbing the place blind just taking all the the pieces and just putting them in his um putting them in a bag or like in his pocket or something um but then he does something even more baffling which is he approaches Seema and Carrie and says you know like give me your necklace give me your jewelry he just mugs them out in the open at this show and Lisette then notices that this is happening is like this guy's stealing it and nobody does anything right to, even to me, Nadia, it really like broke my brain to think about this guy trying to rob Carrie and Seema, just saying like, give me your jewelry. It's like, he has no weapon. Yeah. He has no, it's like, what are you going to do, man? Are you going to like punch me? Or are you going to beat me up? In a public up? space that maybe had even a list, a security list. And even if they got past all that, would also have security walking around. Yes. Could you now easily, could I buy a cater waiter being like, I'm going to take one thing, Right. And then sell it for like a few grand or whatever. Sure. Yes. Two things. But this guy was just stealing everything and everyone's jewelry. Like, was his plan just to walk up to each person and be like, (laughs) wallet and jewelry? You know what I mean? I I don't know if you ever – did you ever work retail as a job in your Um, I did, yes. Okay. I did too. And uh, if you work retail, you're very familiar with how many times they will show you videos of like how to stop people from stealing things. Um, And oftentimes – especially if you're like in the mall or whatever, it'll be these like 10 second thefts where it's just like somebody swipes an entire table, throws it in a bag and runs. Yes. And it's, it's quick, it's efficient and it happens in the blink of an eye before you even know what's happening. So this guy just leisurely yeah, stealing very casually, jewelry. And then like chats up with people to be like, no, come on, give me your, you know, <laughs> give me your wallet. This is like, you don't yes. do this. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and, this. And, how would you think this would work? And Seba's reaction to this is to pull out. Yes. So it, they're like, oh, security, why isn't security helping? And then so Seema pulls out a handgun. Yes. Um, a gold and, handgun. And the guy's like, oh, shit. And then he runs away, right? And we later find out that it's not a handgun. It was a lighter, right? It was yeah. just a, which still looks, this is probably illegal to have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it, I don't think you could. 
have a like a, an object that looks like a gun. And especially like, look, I will say this. I don't want to lecture people of color, but like around New York City cops do not carry anything that looks like a handgun. You know what I mean? You are putting your life on the line. Yeah, it, it, it could get tricky. It could get tricky. And especially the fact that, uh, <laughs> well, what cracks me up the most is that they get mad at her about you can't smoke in here. Like they're more mad about the yes. cigarettes than they are the gun. The fake gun, mind you. But it's such that to me feels like such a meta commentary on America as a whole. Yes. You know what was so interesting to me about this, Nadia, was the writers were making a very right wing talking point, right? Which was that concealed carry works and that the only way to stop criminals is the threat of a gun. So really yeah. the the point of the show that's making is like um, you know, there's no uh, no way to control crime other than we should all be carrying handguns or something that looks enough like a handgun that people would be scared of a gun. So really, a good guy with a gun is what solved this. Yeah, um, and it's an odd take, particularly when what we're dealing with at the beginning of the episode is this crumbling of New York. There's a decline that's a, a, that is presented as being evident. And the answer to that is then to be a vigilante. It doesn't... Yes. It's so antithetical to the idea of community. And when Not you, think a, you about- can't trust liberals. You <laughs> just can't trust liberals. Those damn At Democrats a moment's notice, you know, in a blink of an eye, they're going <laughs> to just flee to the right wing. It was, yeah, it was, is odd. It was an odd choice to have that. And I, I honestly think it came about from like, we have this prop. Like it felt like a reversal. But in terms yes. of what the show's trying to say. <laughs> like a mod show. Yeah, like yeah. it used to be a mod show where it's just like, I got to write something uh, around. Like I found this really weird prop in the prop room. It's like, there's got to be a sketch we can do with, you know, this like super soaker that has a dildo on it. Like we have to. <laughs> it's so odd to me that especially see what doesn't strike me as being the kind of person that would even want to do that. And again, I don't know how much of this is or, or setting them up to be the Samantha characters so that this, you know, I care more about myself and my possessions than I care about potentially hurting others. I don't know mm-hmm. how much of it is we're trying to signify that with the character and how much of it is just, well, we thought this would be a funny joke and how much of it is to me this idea of, yeah, if we're living in an age of anti-community or that's where we're headed if we don't build community, mm-hmm. then yeah, it's every man for themselves. Yes. Uh, Oh, also, we should talk about in this scene, Carrie at one point when it's like, no one's responding, no one's doing anything, says, I have COVID. And then that creates like a big panic. Yes. And people start running. Yes. Which one in 2023, no way. Like, yeah. Maybe in March of 2020, this might have caused people to be like, oh my God. Uh, in 2023, no one's even responding to this. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine people scooting quickly. But yeah, yeah. run and scream as if you said there's a fire. Yeah. A little over the top. Um, Not happening. The, the, um, the great news is that despite uh, Seema's gun lighter, uh, she still finds a Birkin that was thrown I believe bushes. this was her Birkin. It is this her is Birkin. To be, yes. Sorry, it's not the it's not a Birkin. It's her Birkin. Yes. Was thrown under a bush. So the robber, her mugger, sorry, did take just, you know, the wallet and stuff and yes. then tossed out the Birkin. And in my mind, I'm like, how in this day and age did no one 
steal that burger for separate days. Yes, how no one saw that for, yeah, multiple days. And again, this is, we were talking about like how America or New York used to be, right? The, the characters talk about this, Seema and Carrie talk about like, oh, in the old days, they wouldn't take the purse, right? They didn't know that Birkins were more valuable than right, the cash do. in your wallet. This is actually, we can go back to the hole, right? They they, they don't know. <laughs> they don't yes. know the Birkin. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. New life. We don't have to worry about new life. The hole is still here. <laughs> we we always, will always have the hole and we always yes. are in the hole. <laughs> we it's, are all in the hole. We are the hole. We are the hole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my favorite part of this episode was the last line. Oh my God. Well, hold on. We have to, we have to set this up because this. This was nuts. So, oh, I, I do want to mention it was interesting to me because, you know, this episode sort of meditates on loss, right? Yes. The only one who really lost something irreplaceable was Kiri, right? It was like Seema just gets her bag back, right? Mm -hmm. Lisette loses like some an, – and also in a robbery, you know, so that felt weird that we had two robberies, but mm -hmm. loses some jewelry and it's like, eh, it's okay. You can make that. It's just things. Yeah, Charlotte Kiri's and the only Lisa one lose their dignity slightly. Yeah, I uh, guess. You yeah. could say that Miranda loses Che, but it's unclear that they broke up. But also, right. it's like she was in danger of kind of losing her son, especially even like literally losing them if she believes, and we are to believe he was suicidal, right? Right. Um, But it was just very interesting to be an episode that was meditating on loss. Carrie is really the only one who lost something irreplaceable or really like lost something valuable. You know yes. what I mean? And I think it's great for a show if we're talking about loss. Yeah, we include like, oh, I lost my bag. You know what I mean? To show the levels of it. But it just was weird to me that there was this theme that uh, that was sort of unexplored, which is what like I think the show does a lot. It presents ideas and we just have to fill in a lot of gaps mm -hmm. for ourselves. Because uh, the show is like, yeah, it's a big hole, man. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. When you're in the hole and you are the hole, it's hard to see anything outside the hole. Ah, beautifully said. Um, <laughs> but so, yeah, to, so, to set up our conclusion, like yeah. you, uh, you, Cherry finally can read chapter three. You right. know what I mean? Because she's like, we'll be okay. Yeah. Um, and that, I guess, is enough. She didn't really do any like introspection or learn anything. She just was like, well, um, other people have lost bags and jewelry. I guess I can read this book <laughs> and just reads it and it's great and then she's out uh to dinner with Seema um and they they they're sort of talking about the events of the episode and there are some rugby guys from Australia right some rules yeah and they 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 start to kind of playfully flirt and they're like oh let's come like can we slide down to this communal table and we'll buy you a round um and then Nadia please you can deliver uh how this episode ends and just like that, I got COVID. Yes. So the episode ends with Kiri. I believe we're not meant to take this metaphorically, right? Like it was like, this is, she literally got COVID yeah, from this my, night. My take was a literal thing. Like she actually yeah. did get sick. She got I sort of a comeuppance. Because that's the only way we could read this is that she literally got COVID yeah, at this Because metaphorically, this what does that mean? You know? Like, yes. And just like, because she... She got over it. So like, it's so it's it's so it's so funny to be that after all of that, of course, she uh, flirts with somebody 
And then, oh, that, <laughs> oh I've got COVID. I got yeah, this <laughs> is her first time getting COVID because it's mentioned earlier in, when her COVID thing. They're like, oh, you never got it. You know what I mean? It's like, now you're getting it, Carrie? Mm-hmm. It's like, this is old jokes if she didn't get it, which, whatever, fine. So she gets COVID. One, it was very weird to me. This was, they show it a pretty outdoor space. You know what I mean? Like good ventilation, like... <laughs> So it was like a, a little weird to me unless they went to an indoor location. But again, anything could be transmitted. But I guess Kiri just has COVID now. Now, I, I don't think this will be brought up in future episodes. You no, know what I mean? No, I don't my think guess we're going is to... she'll have uh, flu-like symptoms for a few days and then the end. And uh, they'll never bring it up again. She just gets COVID. It's so funny to me that that is how the show ended. That is such a... Great way. Again, I mean, look, props to the show. It's the only show that really addresses COVID as a, a thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, a character just kind of casually gets COVID. Uh, a couple of quick fit checks. This is a fashionista show. Uh, when Carrie is speaking to it's Yvonne Mothlane, she has on this amazing teal kimono jacket that I can't find the designer for. So if anybody knows, give us a comment. Let us know. Um along with Seema in the sort of sparkly halter and Miranda's jumpsuit for the taping, which I'm pretty sure was a very expensive outfit to wear for being basically at the movies. Um, Like, she's in the dark. No one's going to see her. That and Charlotte's dog, Richard Burton, had on these little booties in the rain. <laughs> had on, like, little raincoat, little rain boots. Yeah, that was very And I was cute. like, this is very good. Um, that was very cute, but... Yeah, there's just no filling the hole. That's there's what no, this episode is about. And it's no like COVID is still there. We can't move on from COVID. Everybody's still getting COVID. Um, because we are the hole. You is, can't move on from the hole if you are the hole. We, you can't move on from the hole if you're in the hole and you are the hole. <laughs> Matt, what are your predictions for future episodes? Because I started thinking about it and I was like, last episode we had a bit about Charlotte's kids. And um, that di- that didn't come into play here really, just the school. So my prediction is that uh, new new grungy Billie Eilish Lily is going to get um, some kind of crazy piercing or tattoo. It's really hard to predict because nothing sort of is followed up. Like each episode is very self-contained in a way. Yeah. So it's like really hard to be like, oh, these events will have, uh, you know, consequences because they don't really. So I guess I'll just say I'm going to predict that... Um, uh Steve uh will um he will start like brewing beer uh with Brady. <laughs> They'll start like a microbrewery kind of thing. That's like um, a way to like get him past it. Like, ah, yeah. he's heartbroken. We gotta give him something to do. Yeah, they do like a, a like a like a like a father and son beer brewing company. <laughs> and it'll like it'll like cater like maybe like a, there's like a school event and Charlotte hires them and Miranda's like upset. Miranda's like, how could you hire them? Yeah. It's like, he's not even legal drinking age. How can he be brewing beer? <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I also predict that uh, we will never see the hot sound guy again, but that Niall no. <laughs> will have to go through their own journey over the course of the next couple episodes about dealing with their um, influx breakup because they're separated. Maybe she hooks up with Brady. I don't know. Oh, my God. Oh, good Maybe Nye and Brady get together. Our single people in the show. <laughs> it does make Why me not? wonder if, uh, yeah, if Brady's breakup will lead to some nice fodder about 
what do you do when you're single at any age in this day and age? Um, and what do you do when you are coupled up and you are no longer needing to uh, live that life? Like, for example, will there be a moment where Charlotte hears about something from Siemens is like, I can't relate because I've been married for this long. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, I, like, will Ugh. it become a thing where one of the other characters decides, like, I need to have a little bit of excitement? You know, Carrie, Carrie went out and got COVID from some Australian <laughs> man, um, Dirtner. So, like, <laughs> you know, will they? Will the other characters decide, like, oh, I know what I'll do. I, I gotta, I gotta mix it up. I'm gonna go to Coney Island. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Charlotte goes to Coney Island. That's why the prediction. Hey. At least that's something. You Can know you I mean? imagine Charlotte in her Burberry at Coney Island riding the coaster? I mean, I'm laughing. <laughs> <laughs> A little uh, bit of levity or something. Yeah. Um, more levity than, how's it going, my little cannoli? <laughs> God, I love Tony Danza. Well, Nadia, this was another great episode. Matt, I couldn't um, agree more. There's so much to talk about. I can't believe... We just keep going long all the time because this is just, there's just so much here. But I love it. I do, too. I do, too. There's a lot to say. And uh, I am looking forward to next week, hoping that we get to see a little bit more of the Dans and hoping that we get to see a little bit less of the Burks. <laughs> Me, too, Nadia. And just like that, neither of us are on a milk list yet. Yet. 